Looks like we're live, my dude. Hello. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the College Info Geek podcast. I am Thomas Frank from and College Info Geek. I'm Martin Bamey of the Golgari Swarm. And Shout out to and the Golgari you're a nerd. Swarm. <laughs> I think four people will get that. Reference. Shout out to Jake if you see that. I wonder if Jake watches this podcast. I don't know. I'll just maybe he does like every once in a while. I don't know. Ooh, this no, this is our way to get Jake to watch the podcast. Yeah, that's been the plan all along. Just slip magic references in until he's invested. What are we at? One hundred and sixty-eight episodes. It's one hundred and sixty-eight tries to get Jake to watch our podcast. That's all we've ever been trying to do. Actually, I never thought about the fact that that number is really big. Yeah, (laughs) not you, but I've been podcasting for over four years now. Yeah, which is really weird. That's crazy. That's really weird to me. I don't understand it. And I got, uh, I got reactive in the late 90s. Wait, what? Episodes in the late 90s. I got oh, back into the podcast. I thought you were, I yeah, thought I, you were I, saying, I, you no, I started heard podcasting that. back in like, you no. know, when The Matrix came out? Yeah, I heard myself say that. And I was like, wow, that really just sounds like the time period. But whatever. When I was six years old. Whatever. You know. Well, I've been podcasting since I was in the womb. That's a good. Oh, give me a mic. There's, a, there's an interesting question. When is the first time in your life that you deliberately recorded your voice? Because obviously your parents probably did like home videos or whatever without your consent because the parents do. And then, of course, they play it at your graduation party. So your girlfriend gets to see like a video of you like eating your own poop or something. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, I I don't know. I've heard stories about that. I never went to Tom's graduation party, so I don't know (laughs) that this is a fake story. I did not eat my own poop when I was a baby. uh, don't trust him. Though there is, is there saying. is an embarrassing video of me like lying to my mom about something related to that, and they did play it at my grad party, and my friends all laughed at me. I thought it was funny, so I didn't mind it. All right, all right. <laughs> I think my answer is probably for music in high school at some point. Okay, just when I was writing stuff for piano and guitar. I think for me, I probably recorded video before audio only. Because I remember my brother and I saved up a bunch hmm. of money together. We went to Walmart and we bought like this really really crappy tiny blue camera that shot in like 240p just the blurriest stuff that's high definition the the microphone was terrible and uh we just went out and made videos of like i don't know beating each other up with like those plastic baseball bats or i have videos like that yeah we just have all those like dumb videos and i've got them buried on my computer somewhere um they're fun to go watch every once in a while but yeah so maybe i don't know 10 or 12 years old yeah and that was the start anyway we should get right into the topic of today's podcast because we have a lot to cover so guys today we're going to do an episode on investing basics i've got a lot of questions from you about like how do i start investing my money when do i do it how do i deal with my student debt versus the question of should i be investing so i have put together a pretty big outline here for those of you watching here on YouTube, you can see I'm, I've switched to my iPad because I felt like we had too much computer High tech. and stickers in the desk last time. High tech. So I'm, I'm going to try to go with the iPad here. But yeah, I've got a lot of stuff I want to go through. And I think this is like one of the only recent episodes where like you have almost no experience. I've never invested. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got nothing. I am the student in this episode. However, I was once taught that cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. That's the extent of my investment knowledge. That is true. Cash is does that, rule everything true? around you. That's good? Verified? Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, Wu-Tang Financial is actually my financial services yes. firm of choice. Good. And I would recommend that everyone just turn this podcast off now and go invest all their money with them or Fair. put it into gold. 
Fair. But in all seriousness, <laughs> I'm actually thinking this is the year that I do want to start thinking about investing. So yeah. I'm very invested, no pun intended, that in, this, pun was in intended. this episode. It wasn't because the first word I thought of, and then I was like, I wish there was another word, but I couldn't think of one fast oh. enough. But okay. I care about this episode. You're very keen on this episode. I, I, why would I think of that Commander word Commander Keen. I'm very keen on what we're going to talk yeah. about today. It's, it's Commander Keen, right? I don't know. old video game series? I don't know. I think it is. I don't know. Or like Keenan and Kale? All right. Ugh. So I have been investing for quite a long time. Um, so welcome to school, my young Padawan. Yes. I am the Darth Jar Jar to your Palpatine because that's the canon that I'm going with. That's because Darth Jar Jar is amazing <laughs> and that theory makes Star Wars a trillion times better. How much do you want to bet we get more comments about that line, offhanded reference, than to everything we're going to cover here? Uh, well, I don't know. Is gambling a good investment, Tom? Um, isn't investing just another word for gambling? Yeah, but what about short-term Ooh. gambling based on Star Wars stuff? <laughs> is, that a, is that a good investment? That's actually What's my the recommended in- investment strategy. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we're done. That's the episode. We're done. Yep. Covered. No. So I've been investing since 2011, I want to say. Um, that was my sophomore year of college. And I picked up a book called Your Money, The Missing Manual by J.D. Roth, who I've had the pleasure of meeting since then. He's an awesome guy. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the blog that he started. I think it was Get Rich Slowly. It was one of like the OG personal finance blogs. And he put together this book as part of the, the Missing Manual series. I read it and it was like my first real introduction to like a lot of the personal finance concepts that are good to know. I did read Rich Dad, Poor Dad as well when I was a teenager. But that, that book was almost more like about why you should start a business. So that was kind of useful as well. But this book was like, here's what an IRA is. Here's what a 401k is. Here's why you should invest. And savings accounts versus checking accounts. And inflation. All the stuff that's important to know that they don't teach you in school for some reason. Hmm. So I remember this pretty clearly. I had read that book. I was sitting in my Java programming class, not paying attention. As uh, uh, I don't want to say as usual, as usual, but as I, as I did sometimes. Fair. <laughs> and I was like, you know what I should do? I should start investing. And I had, I think, like a thousand bucks in my savings account. So I went looking for funds that I could invest in. And so I went to Vanguard because Vanguard is the place that had been recommended to me. But a lot of the funds that I wanted to be invested in had like a three thousand dollar minimum. Or sometimes like a $10,000 minimum. So not student friendly. Yeah, not at all. Like most students don't have 3K sitting around to invest. Yeah. And I certainly didn't. I think $1,000 was actually pretty good. And I think I had the $1,000 be only because I was working 20 hours a week and I had taken loans to cover my dorm. So like I was working just to make bank pretty much, which is a nice situation. But I'm like, man, $3,000, I can't do that, but I want to start investing. So I ended up finding this Vanguard fund. It's like, I think it's called the Star Fund. It was like their only fund at that time that had a $1,000 minimum investment. So they have they have multiple. Vanguard is what, like a company? And they so yeah, different Vanguard is a funds. big company. So yeah, to put this really simply, there's like all these companies out there that offer mutual funds you can buy into. And mutual fund, I mean, we'll define more of this as we go on, but a mutual fund is basically like a big collection of like stocks or bonds or any kind of investment Basically, like if I were to make it like really boiled down and simple, I'd go out and buy a bunch of stocks. And then I'm like, but I wouldn't use my own money. I'd go to you. I'd go to Anna. I'd go to your mom. I'd go to a billion people. And I'm like, hey, each of you give me $10. 
and I'm going to make a giant pool of this money and I'm going to invest it in things that I think are a good idea to invest in. And then you're going to get the profits for whatever you put in. Yeah. So instead of you having to pick what you put money into, you just kind of put it all into this pool and then whoever manages the pool or based on some logic, that's yeah. what it gets invested in. So you're trusting, uh, I don't want to think about this, cool, smart people, please yeah. do smart things with my money for me. Well, as we're going to talk about, it's either cool, smart people making decisions or some other sets of logic okay. or sets of rules, cool. which are sometimes better than smart people. And I'm going to put that in quotes and you'll see why. Okay. But so the star fund was all I could invest in. Uh, now the star fund is pretty evenly balanced between stocks and bonds and bonds are usually less risky than stocks. Um, so like a, a like if a company goes bankrupt, bondholders get paid first. That's one of the big reasons why they're less risky. But with less risk comes less reward. That's like the iron law of investing. Higher yeah. risk equals higher reward. Otherwise, everyone would go yeah, for the high reward sense. thing and it would never pay out. Um, but when you're young, a high risk, like stock only portfolio is a better option because you've got time. If you take, a, if you can take a punch basically. If the market goes down, you've got time to work your way back up. Whereas if you're 50, obviously high risk is a bad idea because you're getting near retirement. Uh, you've got more responsibilities at that point. So you, yeah. you might, you have dependents maybe that rely on you. So yep. you, you can't just- All these things. I'm just gonna be super poor for three months if this goes wrong. But you mm -hmm. can't say that if you've got kids you're trying to feed. Yeah, so ideally being a 19 year old kid, I would have wanted to get into something a little bit more aggressive, growth minded, but I didn't have enough money. So I put money in the star fund and I just started contributing like 20 bucks a month to it sometimes. Okay. So it wasn't, I tell this story because it wasn't the perfect start. And I think this is what gets people so hung up on investing. They start to get this idea in their mind that I shouldn't invest, but I gotta go research and I gotta find like the perfect investment to put my money into. And then they don't. No, then they, so they wait much, for years and years yeah, trying to learn enough. Exactly, and then they never get money in here. And the, the whole thing with investing is like the longer you invest, the more money you're gonna make by far. And I'm oh, gonna give you guys a quick example of that in a second here. So there, there's a uh, there's a researcher, I can't remember which university she's from. Her name is uh, Sheena Iyengar, and she's done all this research into how choices affect us. And you know that story I told you about the fish market that has dozens of fish yes. and dozens of rubs and their sales were terrible. And then they cut down to three choices, one rub per fish, basically like you can just choose the tuna, the halibut or the salmon, that's it. Yeah. sales go up. Same thing with retirement and investing options. Since there's so much, people are often driven to not choose anything. Yeah. So basically like the, the big thing I wanna put into your brain because you're wanting to do this, but also to anybody who's listening to this with some caveats I'll get into later on is start investing as soon as you possibly can. Start investing right now. Yeah, just no, I'll probably wait till the end right of the podcast. podcast. Yeah, you know, you're going to be typing in your social security number and everything. Maybe I should say it out loud while say I type it, out it loud. Just, just so I don't mess it up. Yeah, you know, just like looking at the screen real quick. All right, two, four, five, I don't know. Yeah. That's actually the first <laughs> It's two, numbers. four, six, eight. Eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's it. Oh my God, I wonder if somebody's social security number is that. Well, there's there's more digits than that in a social security number. But like I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to count digits right that, now. I'm confused. I think there's nine. I can't think about that. In a social number. And there's set, Those, well, these 10 are, or 7. These are not the digits I want to be yeah. counting in this episode. So anyway. I want to get rich. I did that. And then eventually I switched my money from that star fund into better funds. 
So for anybody curious, I'll just tell you right up front, um, I'm invested in Betterment, which is a company that's called a, it's called a robo-advisor, which basically means that instead of a human just trying to pick the stocks based on their intuition or research, there's all these computer algorithms and AI that's been programmed to balance money as efficiently as possible into a number of different funds. That sounds cool. So it is pretty cool. Um, I like robo-advisors. Betterment is one. We talk about it a lot on my other podcast, which is called Listen, Money Matters, for anybody who's curious. There's one called Wealthfront. There's one called uh, Wealth Simple. There's many of them actually nowadays. And the cool thing about these is you get some of the more active management benefits where the algorithm is kind of moving things around based on your risk profile, your age, you know, what's going on in the market. But because computers are doing it, you're not paying some fat cat fund manager a million dollars a year to do it. And the fees so They on can that do it fund, so efficiently that their profit margin doesn't have to be as high. Exactly, yeah. Because the thing with any investment fund is there is like a portion you pay as a fee yeah. to whoever's managing it. And some funds have higher fees than others. When you let robots do the managing, the fees are lower than when you let humans do it. That's cool. And when you let simple logic and rules do it, instead of robots, the fees can get even lower than that. So part of my money is in Betterment. Um, part of it is in the Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund, and it is in the Admirals Edition, which is basically like a version of the fund that is very, very cheap in terms of management fees, but it has a $10,000 minimum. So I basically like saved up money in my little star fund that I started out when I was 19 until I hit 10,000 and then moved it all over to this better one. And then some of it is in what's called a REIT, which is like a real estate, I forget the last two letters, but it's, it basically like follows big swaths of the real estate market. Mm -hmm. So I've just basically done that to diversify. And this is a good thing to learn, like diversification, having not, or not having all of your eggs in one basket is a good idea because if that one basket falls into a fire, yeah. all your eggs are cooked prematurely. Yep. And now you got to eat hard-boiled eggs for the rest of your life. There are worse fates. There are worse fates because you're going to have bad gas. So put your eggs in many different baskets and you're going to be good. Okay. So I say those, I have done the research. I believe that these are good investment picks for me. But one thing I do want to put here first and foremost is that uh, past performance, what has happened in the past, is not an indicator of future performance. Something could happen tomorrow that could destroy all my funds. Who knows? Yeah. But, and I mean, this is what people always say when you talk about investments. Past performance is no indicator of future performance. The one thing about it is that's the data we have. So, I mean, you can like try to look at trends and stuff, but really like the data we have is what has happened in the past. So past so, performance isn't everything, but it's also like, it's not, you shouldn't discount it entirely. Exactly. When yeah. making decisions. So, and that'll factor into why I chose those specific funds, which we'll talk about in a second here. The first thing is I want to give you guys an example of what investing can do. So do you know what compound interest is? Yes. Basically for anybody at home, simple interest. If you, if you put money into investment and say it makes like 5% interest. So really simple example, I put a hundred dollars in the bank and for whatever reason has a 5% interest rate. After a year, I'll have $5 that that investment has gained me. Yeah. Five bucks. Boom. Rich. Now, most bank accounts are going to give you like 0.01% interest because they suck. Oh, yeah. They're not investments. But that's just a really simple example here. Compound interest means you take that interest and you put it right back into your investment. So now I've got $105. And the next period, it compounds. So the interest is now on 105 instead of on just the original 100 So the real good investment strategy here is long-term 
be putting money regularly into your accounts and also, and this usually happens automatically with most of the funds that we'll talk about, the interest gets reinvested right back into that account as well. Okay. So this is amazing. And I think, I don't remember what famous person said it. It might've been Ben Franklin um, said like compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. I have heard this. Maybe it, you've got the Google machine right there. You can actually I, find out. I want to say it's potentially Einstein. Who is it? Einstein. Oh, is it Einstein? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Einstein. Uh, could be fake news. Not ben it's Franklin. just the first thing I found on Google, but, you know. Actually, you know, Chuck Norris said I th- that. I thought it was Einstein already. <laughs> so okay. We'll go with Einstein. I don't know. Goodreads says it, so I, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to say probably. So here is why compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Say you are uh, 20 years old. So I started my investing at 19. It's not unheard of. Um, say you're 20 years old. And you start with a thousand bucks in the star fund or whatever, like I did. So let's say you invest just $300 a month into your investment for 35 or for 45 years, which would get you to age 65. That's retirement age. So $3,600 a year total. For some people, that's a lot. For some people, that's very little, but it's like, it's a good average here, for an example. Now, if you are invested in the types of funds that I'm invested in, like the total stock market index fund, which I'll explain in a second, you can basically bank on having a 7% average return on the long term. This is based off of like the data we have for decades going back to like the 50s or 40s. Basically, like some years are going to be up, some years are going to be down, but on a long time scale, you can kind of bank on 7%. Okay. So if you had 100 bucks, it'd be like 107, but over the long term, it's compounding. So based on those numbers, 7% average, investing for 45 years, 300 bucks a month, you're going to end up with $1,088,301 when you retire. That is a little bit more than the original number. Yeah. A little bit. You're investing. I mean, I didn't, actually, I forgot to calculate here, here exactly what you'll invest. Uh, can you do a calculator real quick? $3,600 times think, 45. Do you think I can type numbers? Yes, I do. One six two. Zero, zero, zero. So $162,000 plus the original thousand you invested, you are only ever putting in $163,000 to get retiring with over a million. Yeah. So you're almost, uh, I don't know what the word for times tenifying, but yeah. your money yeah. increases by almost a factor of 10. Yeah. We'll, based, just, uh, we'll just go with times you, tenifying. Yeah. That's times fine. tenifying, you know, and it's not even exactly 10, but it's a lot. So this is how you build wealth for retirement. You have to invest and utilize the principle of compound interest to make your money work for you rather than you having to work for every single dollar you ever make. And as we can see in this example, if you do it right and you start early, and the key is starting early, um, your dollars will work 10 times as hard as you can, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody who's watching this maybe a little older from not investing. Obviously, you don't reap the benefits of compound interest because you're older, but that is not a reason for not investing because some benefit is better than no benefit. So that's ridiculous. Put that up front. Okay. So the big question that a lot of students and people who have graduated from college already are going to ask is what if I have student debt? Should I start investing now or should I pay off my debt first? I'm actually interested to hear your take on this because you still have student debt I do and you're thinking about debt. investing now and you've got enough that it's, it'll probably take you at least a year or two to pay it off. Okay. Well, so what are your thoughts here? My thoughts are that psychologically, I would love to just kill my debt real fast first before mm-hmm. investing. And 
I'd like to double check here, but I am fairly certain that because I only had government backed helped loans that their yep. interest rates are actually lower yep. than that average 7%. Yes. So I suppose logically speaking or mathematically speaking, it is likely that I will benefit from investing now and continuing to pay off my loans as I go. Yeah. Rather than do say if I had like if I had like $30,000 right now, I would it would be better for me to potentially put it into investments than to just knock out my loans. Yeah. So I guess my question to you is would you be comfortable doing that? I would be comfortable doing that, but I am still likely to pay an accelerated rate of getting my student loans done. Over the minimums? But while still investing. Yeah, I okay. would probably still pay more than the minimum just so that psychologically I do want them gone because I don't yeah. like juggling the commitments in my brain. Yeah, that's that, true. That takes my focus away sometimes. It's, it's stressful. So that has value to me, mm -hmm. but it means that I'm not going to just wait until my loans are completely gone to start investing because like you said, the investments, the sooner you start, the better. And if yeah. I can start now, but it still might take me a year or two of like crazy concentrated saving to kill my student loans, mm -hmm. then I could have been investing that whole time. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I wanted yeah. to get your mindset on here because actually when I was a senior, I got it in my head that I wanted to pay off my student loans as fast as possible. And I wanted to graduate debt free. So I actually paused uh, contributing to my investments for a while and I put basically like every single dollar I had of extra money into that debt and I did graduate debt free but for me it was like it was a mindset thing I really wanted to be able to graduate without having this ball and chain shackled to my ankle of debt because I knew if I had debt that's an extra monthly expense and that limits my options and I didn't really know what my options were going to be when I graduated so I was like if I don't have debt, I have more options. So I want to point that out because the, the first question you have to ask yourself when you're weighing these two possibilities, accelerate debt payments or invest is where's your mind at? Are you psychologically troubled by the, by having debt or not? Because at that time in my life, I was Yeah. now I'm not, I've got a car loan. There's still about $7,000 principal interest or principal on the car loan. I don't care. But like the interest rate isn't very high, so it wouldn't yes. make sense for you to just dump it all in so there, right? So that brings us to the second point here. If you are comfortable with paying off your debt a little slower than you could and chipping into your investments instead, um, it makes sense mathematically if you can make more on the investments than the debt is costing you. Yeah. So the car loan I have is 2.49% interest. Pretty low. Very low. Very low. Um, when I was a student, my loans, because of some government thing that happened for a very limited time, they were like 3.5% interest loans. M mine, I just looked, mine are like anywhere between 3.4 and 5% on the smallest chunk, but okay. like no higher than that. So seven yep. is still a little better. Yep. So... This is kind of my general rule here for deciding this on the on the, like the math basis. We go with that 7% interest in the market, but there's always a little bit of like margin that I like to put in there for error. So my rule is if you want to go the math way, um, make sure there's a 2% spread on the gain you're going to make. So like okay. if you, any debt you have that is over 5%, I say pay that off as fast as you can before you start investing. That's coincidental that my highest is exactly two below seven. There you go. Yeah. Um, anything below that, obviously go with what you're comfortable with. But mathematically, I, th I think anything below that, pay the minimums, pay it off, and use any excess to invest if you want to maximize your gains while also minimizing risk. Okay. 
So that is, that's kind of my mindset here. Now there's also another consideration. This I believe happens before you pay anything more than your minimums on your debt. And before you invest, you get an emergency fund. Ah, yes. Like yes. for your, your normal expenses times some sort of number. Sort of. So this is where like Andrew, my co-host and I over at Listen Money Matters and I kind of like debate a little bit. Okay. Because Andrew makes a good chunk of money and he has for quite a while. Um, and I mean, like I make a pretty substantial income now, but I was a student five years ago. So it's like, or four years ago. So I understand yeah. what it's like to make basically nothing and be able to basically cover your monthly expenses and have not much left over. Yeah. So what he used to say is, you want to build up three times your monthly expenses in your checking account and then have an invest or emergency fund of like $1,000 before you start investing heavily. And I'm like, for most people I know, three months, month, like month expenses, that's tough yeah. to build up in your checking yeah, that account. Could, that could take and a while. It could take years sometimes. Some people have like 100 bucks left over per month. If your monthly expenses is like $1,500, like that takes over a year to build up one year's worth. So in my mind, when you're young, when you can take a punch, 500 bucks is like the minimum, I would say, for an emergency fund. And keep that okay. fund in a savings account, not and in the market. The older you get, the higher that needs to be, right? Oh, because if like, you, if you because like now kids, I've got way more stuff, yeah. like way higher rent than a college rent would be. Lots of stuff yeah. that makes it so an emergency fund should be a little higher. Yeah, I mean, I feel like once once you build up a, a significant amount in your investments, like that can almost act like a cushion, like an or a, uh, emergency fund of its own. Like I've got enough in my Vanguard account that if it took a 15% cut, there's still enough there that I could basically cover any emergency I'm going to have. You could withdraw like whenever you want then on most of those? Because uh, we'll we'll like, get into that. Okay. We're going to get into that because okay, that is cool. the difference between like retirement accounts. Yeah, because I thought that was different call. for retirement plans. Yeah, so but, we'll get into yeah. that. I've got that here on the, the outline quick. But, you know, if you got a car problem, and this is a big thing, I want you to be I able to take a punch and like be able to guarantee you can. So what, what's a punch? Like you need new tires in your car or you have a tire blowout. And you need that car to get to work. Yeah. Don't put the money that you're going to use to fix that car at risk by putting it in the market. Because again, we say 7% on average long term, but year to year, right now, I can tell you, my Betterment account is 16% up, which is fantastic. Uh, my Vanguard total stock is 11.5% up. And my REIT, which is that real estate thing, that's 9% up. So it's a dang good year right now. Okay. But next year it could go down. Yeah. It could just as easily be 15% down. And if you got $500 in there and you lose 15% off that, you know, now you have 425. What if those tires are 475? So keep that $500. So some chunk should be risk free. Exactly. Some, some chunk should be without should risk. Should be risk free. It should just be there if you need it. Okay. And you shouldn't be pilfering it for like fun things. It should be like if you have an emergency come up, you know, use that. So build that up first. The other question is. I think a lot of students are going to be watching this. So this is not, well, actually, no, this, this could apply to students. We get questions on the podcast, uh, Listen Money Matters, from people who want to buy a house. They're okay. like, hey, I want to buy a house in two years. And obviously, when you buy a house, you got to save up a down payment of 20% of whatever the house costs. So I want yeah. to buy a $200,000 house, then I need to save up $40,000. So we get questions from people saying, like, should I put what I'm saving for my down payment into a Betterment account or into a Vanguard account or into some sort of investment. 
And our answer is usually no, because the gains you're gonna make over two years aren't very high. So like the reward doesn't really match up to the risk you're taking. Because the investment's more of a long-term strategy. Exactly, it's a long-term strategy, 10, 20, 30 years. Two years, you have, it's on average 7%, not in two years, you will have 7%. It could take 10 years for that to be realized. Yeah, you could like have bad timing and you put your money in and it's like the two years that suck. You know, what if somebody like put their money for their house into the market in 2007? Yeah, I was just thinking And then, you know, 2008 happens. You ain't getting a house. It's all gone. (laughs) It's done. You know, well, actually in 2007, they were giving out houses like That's true, that's true. But your down payment (laughs) money is is gone. Yeah. I guess you're lucky because specifically the housing market got messed up. Yeah. But still. So here's how this this question applies to students though. Say you're like, I got to buy textbooks in August or I got to buy a car soon or something. I gotta go buy like a $200 suit for my internship that's coming up. Yeah. Should I keep that money in, in the stock market? Again, that's a short-term expense. So I say save that money in a secure place, savings account. Yeah, because yeah. You, you don't wanna gamble away your short-term. Also, especially for like, a lot of those are investments in yourself. That suit's gonna pay you a way bigger exactly. ROI if you get a job yeah. than the 7% because you might be making two to three times what you made mm-hmm. and especially more than that suit cost. Yeah. Now, I think you or anybody else who's thinking about investing is already long-term minded. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't be investing. But this this comes back to the idea of mindfulness and looking into the near future to see what's coming up. So you need to have the presence of mind to ask yourself, what's what am I going to have to pay for in a couple of months? Is the next semester coming up? All right, textbooks. I, I can't ignore that expense. Yeah. I can't ignore any fees. I can't ignore whatever I might be paying out of pocket for tuition or dorms or whatever it may be. So... All that has to be considered before you decide to invest. Yeah. Once you do, then take that debt consideration into account and then figure out what you want to start investing. That makes sense. Cool. All right. Don't so, overinvest in the, for the short-term stuff. Yes. Like exactly. if I was going to buy a thousand pens right now for some reason, because I know long-term I'll need pens. Why would you do And that? I'll save 7%. But that's <laughs> stupid because short-term there was no reason to do that. Plus you can just go. You like, can't think only long-term. <laughs> short-term is also important. Just go accidentally put the pen behind your ear at the bank. You got a new pen. There a thousand go. times. Yeah. Done. That's an investment. <laughs> One thousand times. That's an investment. You take a penny from the tray. Steal pens from the bank. You know, the, the pennies at the gas station that are for everyone. Yeah. You just take it. Yeah, well, you go to a million gas stations for. and you take the pennies. And, and yeah. <laughs> well, I, just think, I just think that's important because I'm often a very invested, investment-minded. So, like... Uh, if you think about things like Sam's Club, the whole point in those is investing in a material product. Yes. But if you didn't need 9 million rolls of toilet paper yeah. right now, maybe there was a way better investment short term you could it's have true. been making. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Uh, and, that, and that's actually kind of the mindset I took with the car that I bought. Yeah. Because like I, I knew I could save up and buy a car in cash and wait. But your car was dying. Yes. And I was like. Yes, it was. I was like thinking in my head, if my car is getting up there in miles, it's still a good car. It's got a but lot it's of miles old. on it. It's still running, actually. Yeah, it's running. It's got like 240-some thousand. It's still fine. I'm surprised it's still going. But back then, I didn't know that. And I'm like, okay, my car is going to die someday. And Martin needs a car now. Yeah. And I know I'm going to buy a car. And I am in a financial position where I will buy a new car sooner than he will. So I'm just like, all right, I'm going to sell you my car for cheap. And I'm going to go take out a car loan to get my loan or to get my car. Yeah. Because I knew like... That was an opportunity where it's like, I should get one now. And yeah, it's short term. It made sense to do it at that yeah. time. And because the interest rate on that is so low, I 
I shouldn't be paying it off yeah. all right now because it makes more sense for me to put money in the market where I can get a better return. Yeah. So this brings us to um, the question of what investment strategy do I use? So we talked about earlier, you can pay somebody who's quote unquote smart to make your investment decisions for you. Okay. You can try to make decisions yourself. You could try to buy individual stocks. You could try to buy investment, like real estate properties and I don't trust like myself. Rent, rent it out to people and make money off of that. There's all kinds of different investments out there. Really breaks down into two different categories. You have passive investing and you have active investing. So passive investing is the type of investing that follows a simple bit of logic or rules. And the main example here is what they call index funds. So an index fund is basically a fund that just like tracks a bunch of different stocks and just buys all of them. So like the S&P 500, Standard & Poor is a company, they track like the top 500 US companies in, that are public. And if you buy an S&P 500 index fund, that is a fund that simply buys all those, all 500 okay. of them, and just follows them. So it's not trying to be like, hmm, I wonder if Apple's gonna go up this year, Walmart's gonna go down. Let's like sell it's Walmart by like, Apple. It's these like, guys do well. No, we're Let's invested in all of them. It. So basically you're not trying to uh, bank on the performance of one company. You're banking on the performance of all 500, which by extension is a representation of your, you're basically banking on the performance of the entire economy. Yeah. So okay. that's passive. That is what I recommend for most people, but I'll explain active here quickly. So active, again, it's you're picking stocks yourself or you're paying somebody who is a professional fund manager to pick stocks for you, or you're buying real estate properties or whatever it is. Most people are not gonna try to pick stocks themselves. Most people who get into active management are people who are gonna buy a fund that is managed by a human being. So like say okay. Warren Buffett's managing a fund, I wanna be in his fund. Actually, you can buy shares of Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren <laughs> Buffett's company. And because Berkshire Hathaway has invested in so many other companies, that's like almost a de facto way yeah. of getting a weird mutual fund. But I digress. Um, the thing here, and I think I had some, uh, some research that I may have put lower down here. Where did I put it? Yeah, here it is. All right. So Standard & Poor put out research this year in 2017 that shows that 92% of actively managed funds with all these smart people managing them and taking a pretty hefty fee okay, for it. These, these are funds. They're not just 92% of people who invest no, by no, themselves. This, this is not, these are the smart these people. These are funds that are run by professional hedge managers, fund managers who are, it's their day job to pick the stocks that the fund's okay. gonna have to give it good performance. So experts taking, in quotes here. Yeah, and they're taking a higher fee because of it. 92% of them don't beat the simple S&P index fund. So. Yes. So the lazy man's passive in, uh, strategy of just putting money into an index fund and following the economy will beat somebody else's picks 92% of the time. And if you think you're smarter than an active fund manager, I don't. Well, maybe you are, <laughs> but you're probably not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So my recommendation for the beginning investor is get into an index fund like the Vanguard Total Stock Index Fund or the Vanguard S&P. Fidelity has some as well. There might be other ones out there that I don't know of. Vanguard is kind of like the go-to for most people because it's very, very cheap. There's like okay. a very small fee on it. Um, but yeah, active is not that good. Now, now on Listen Money Matters, what we usually say is build up $25,000 in passive funds. So for a lot of people, that means like you're probably gonna spend like a decade 
Yeah, that yeah, up. it'll take some time. So you know, this is long-term minded, as always. Once you get there, if you want to start dabbling with active things in your free time with a little bit of your money, fine, because it's unlikely to hurt you. So once you've built up like 25,000 in low risk stuff over yeah. a long period of time, after that, you can, you can get a little risky if you want. Yeah, and, and I'm, you, not, you're saying safer. Like, you've got I'm a, not saying build up 25K in that passive thing and then start taking all the money you would invest from that point on oh, and no, like I, buy I, an Apple or whatever. Yeah. I'm saying like, say you put $500 a month in and yeah. then you hit that 25K in your account. All right, now put $400 a month in from then on to that one and take your extra 100 and do something else with it. Yeah. Like there, so okay. um, if you want to buy individual stocks, for example, there's an app called Robinhood, and Robinhood is really awesome because it's on it's on the iPhone. It might be on Android phones. Uh, it lets you make individual stock purchases from your phone with no commission. That's like the catch. That was hmm. that was like the kicker for for most people for like up until a few years ago. Um, if you went through like. E-Trade, Scott Trade, whatever, random dude who runs a brokerage down the street, they were always going to charge you like 10 or $15 per trade. So like so if, that if trade I put, really needs to pay off. Yeah. If I put 200 bucks in Apple and you know, it makes a uh, 7% return. Okay, cool. I've made 15 bucks in profit, but the dude took $15 from me just to make the trade. So I'm at square one off of yeah. that. So like you better make really good trades. Yeah. So that's the nice thing about Robinhood is I, I've got a couple of stocks that I'm invested in Robinhood. Um, I invested in United because when that whole thing happened, you remember when they, they yeah, like dragged well, that dude off the plane? Yeah, they weren't popular. freaked out and their stock tanked. I was like, yeah, but United is so entrenched in so many routes. Yeah. Like it's not like- And people Delta's, forget bad news pretty quick. Yeah, people like they can't stay angry for long. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna buy United. <laughs> and I've made a pretty darn good profit on that. Yeah. Because I'm like human psychology is easily exploitable. And it looks like it is on Android. Oh, cool. It is on Android now. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's a cool thing to do. But again, build up that big sizable war chest in passive yeah. funds. Because remember, 92% of these professionals can't beat the index. So you probably can't either. And I'll tell you, I've got two stocks. So I mean, I tell the United story because it's cool. My other stock that I bet, that I bought, it's tanking Ooh. hard. So that's <laughs> It's hard tanking. So I'm not, again, like buy low, sell high. I'm not going to sell it out of fear because I would just lose everything I put in. I'm just, it's, it's a low enough investment that if it like went to zero, I'm out like, like 40 bucks. Like you didn't put a whole lot in it. Yeah. I put 40 bucks in. So if they go to zero, I'm out 40 bucks, whatever, but I'm going to hold it because maybe they'll come up. Maybe it's just like speculation or maybe they need to get better management or something, whatever. Yeah. But I do say that because like, okay, I bought two stocks. One of them. Awesome. The other one is doing terribly. So my average, not that great. Yeah. I'm not beating the market. You didn't beat the market. <laughs> Do not let Thomas Frank manage your your funds. No. Let me tell you how to study in school, but don't let me manage your money. That's not my job. Let the robots do that. The other thing is uh, you have to ask yourself, what's my risk profile? So I think this is dependent on a couple of different factors. What is your risk tolerance personally? So how well can you deal with loss? And what's your age? If you're 20, and you put $1,000 in the stock market and it goes to zero tomorrow, you're probably gonna be fine. If you followed our advice here, you have $500 in your emergency fund, you're hopefully investing in your career, you yourself are an asset with your labor, so if you lose 1,000 bucks in the market, whatever. If you are 65 and you've got kids or grandkids, you got a wife, you got all this stuff you gotta deal with and you're coming up right against retirement, obviously that risk 
is not something you want to take on. Yeah. So there's actually, there are funds that are called target retirement date funds. Um, Vanguard has these, Fidelity has these. Basically what these will do is if you're young, they'll start you out mostly in stocks, which are riskier. And then every year there's like an automatic rebalancing where it'll put some of your money into less risky bonds or treasury notes or stuff with the government. And then once you get closer to retirement, like most of it will be there. So it just kind of shifts over time. And the robo advisors like Betterment and Wealthfront, they do this too. You can just tell it like, I want to retire in 2065 or 2055 or something like that. And every year it'll just sort of gradually move things over. You don't have to worry about it. Cool. Good to go. So that's risk profiles. Um, Now, I do want to talk about the active investment strategy that I do use. The active investment strategy I use is investing in myself and Ah, my company. Yes. Because I'm a business person. I'm an entrepreneur. So I know if I take literally all my money that I make from this business, I just suck all the profits out of it and I shove it into my investments. It's like, cool, 7% or maybe 11% on a good year or whatever. But I'm not building my business. Like it was a pretty significant investment. In fact, I'll tell you, I stopped contributing to my mutual funds for the three months that I hired you initially because I wasn't making enough. And I was like, I think Martin is a good investment. Number one, you were like my best friend. And I'm like, okay, you had this injury and everything. There was a reason that I did it, like a human reason. But the other thing is like, I've seen you work. I've seen you be innovative. I was like, I can spot talent when I look at it. And I'm like, okay, if I can bring Martin on, I think he will help me grow my business faster than my investments will like grow. Better than a 7% wealth. ROI. Yes. And I made a good choice. Which most most uh, employees should probably try to be better than a 7% ROI. Yeah. And so when when did I hire you? Was it a year and four months ago? Um, I think March-ish, I think I hired you February, February 2016. Somewhere in there. Somewhere around that so area. So it was a year and four months ago. We are making double what we're making better better return on investment and i'm not paying you all that so it's yeah. a heck of a better return on investment and uh that actually brings me to our sponsor this week because i'm good at ad segues <laughs> we should um, do segue for segue they should be no, my I'm, sponsor. I'm, i don't want to be sponsored by segue too late i'm talking to them right now <laughs> <laughs> though i have ridden one of those little hoverboard things and they're kind of fun <laughs> Anyway, our sponsor this week is FreshBooks. And uh, apart from that being a very good ad segue, I do want you guys to listen up because this really is something that's important. If you can make investments into your business, or even if you're not a business person, if you can make investments into the way that you work that are gonna help you be more efficient, that are gonna give you more time to work on the things that actually matter, that are actually like the breadwinning things, then you win out, even if those investments cost money. So if you are a freelancer, if you own your own business, if you do anything on your own, FreshBooks is a great investment because what they do is they let you heavily automate and heavily increase the efficiency of your accounting, of the invoicing and of the process of getting paid by clients. They had a huge redesign recently and apart from having a great app on their phone that lets you like scan your receipts and easily mark down your expenses and save money at tax time if you're a business person, the great thing about FreshBooks is they help you get paid faster and they help you spend way, way, way less time dealing with the whole process of getting paid. Yeah. And I want to use like one of our freelancers as a case study here. So Ransom okay. writes articles for the College of Geek blog. And he's actually going to start trying to do some script writing too. So I can maybe get two videos out per week potentially. 
Um, he invoices me via FreshBooks. He uses FreshBooks because he's a freelancer. Cool. He doesn't. He's not an employee of College Info Geek. He's a freelancer that I contract. He does work. He charges me. He uses FreshBooks. So what that means is he can create invoices in like 30 seconds. They look great. They immediately come to me in email, and I can pay him online. Yeah, which is awesome. So which I can pay him like one click, like bam, check. money to him easily, super quick. And the other thing is. When I get the invoices, I pay right away because I have been a freelancer and I have been on that side of the equation where sometimes like a client doesn't pay you for a while and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. So the moment I see the email, I'm like, I want to pay because I want to be a good client. But some clients aren't so on the ball, I guess is the yeah. word to use. <laughs> yeah, they're absent-minded. Yeah, well, we'll use that. That's a nice term. Yes. So the great thing about FreshBooks is when you send off that email, you get to see when they've opened that email and when they've seen the invoice. So there's no guessing games. You don't have to send those emails that are like, hey, did you see that invoice? Are yeah, you ever going to pay me? Are you I guys you saw actually it, still alive? Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Give me <laughs> no, my money, Gary. You know, when, you know when Gary's opened that email. So, But again, with the online payments thing, it makes it so convenient that you're going to get paid. And with FreshBooks, people get paid up to four days faster than with other tools, which is awesome. So if you are a freelancer or if you're thinking about that, um, keep this URL in mind, freshbooks.com slash CIG. If you go there, you can get a free 30-day unrestricted trial. Use the app, take it for a test drive, um, totally full featured. And if you do that, put College Info Geek in that how did you hear about a section so they know you came from this show. Sponsorships help us keep this show yes. uh, running, keeps the lights on, and Look, helps us this make cool video equipment. I know, we're making so many improvements here. I don't know if you guys saw we did like a excerpt video on the channel a couple of days ago and I'm hoping to upgrade it further. Yeah. I got my eyes set on like multiple cameras. Like yeah. we invest in our workflow. Awesome. We invest Absolutely. in our workflow and our, our future for this business yeah. all the time. And investing in your workflow is definitely worth it. Exactly. So again, FreshBooks is a great way to invest in that accounting and invoicing workflow. Um, we use a tool called Asana, which helps for our project management workflow. It helps us make sure videos get done on time. It helps me make sure I don't forget to pay my taxes or forget to send emails to like an don't, advertiser don't or something. Um, you know, we do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. One thing that I spent some time doing a while ago was I went down and I wrote what are called standard operating procedure documents. Yeah. So basically if I hire a new writer, there is a document that I can send them that shows them exactly how to write a post in our WordPress setup. It shows them all the boxes to check, where to put the featured image, all this stuff. So now I can hire a hundred writers yes. and I don't have to sit down individually and spend an hour training them on what to do. I can send them that document that I wrote once and yeah. they're good to go. Your dividends will be a short onboarding process. Yeah, so I can go make more videos which is what brings the bacon home yeah. and what helps people. It doesn't really help people in the audience for me to spend time teaching a new writer how to fiddle with yeah. WordPress menus. No. It makes it, you know, it helps people if I can create a new video or go do some research that helps them out. So whatever it is, add segue aside, actively invest in yourself. That could even mean yeah. like going and getting a certification. Yeah, you can have a way better ROI if if there is still a lot you can improve about your own professional skills, your own workflow, yeah. your own anything. Say you had seven percent. You were in the networking program at your community college. Yeah. So say you graduated in that, you got a job in IT. That's what you did. Spending some time to go get a uh, what's it called, like a Cisco cert. Yeah, there was. I there took was a, a bunch, bunch of, of like CCNA. I think. CCNA. I yes. took a bunch of CCNA, CCNA. classes and. A, I almost got certified for a Linux thing. That would yeah. have been cool. So if you get those, like the next job you go to, you can be like, yo, I have a CCNA. It took me 
30 hours to study for it. I paid 300 bucks for the test, but now, now I, I got can the make certification. Like 2000 more a year. Awesome. We're going to hire you for Done. 70K instead of 60K because yeah. you have this. We know you can do this. Make investments in yourself. Yeah. All right. I'll stop beating the dead horse. We are going to move on to something almost everyone who ever gets a job is going to run into. Full-time job at least. Okay. The 401k. Ah, uh, yes. So a lot of times when you get a full-time job, one of the benefits is a 401k account. Now this is basically a company sponsored investment account. Um, and this is a vehicle that can funnel money into like an IRA or retirement account or a not IRA, like just regular investment account, like what I use for the most part. Uh, but the big thing is, and this is like the selling point of a 401k, a lot of companies will match what you decide to contribute out of your salary to a certain point. So example, yeah. say you get hired at Acme or whatever yeah. for making dynamite that doesn't work. So the coyotes doing real good can't lately. catch roadrunners. They're doing real good at that. Yeah. This, I wonder. <laughs> I always wondered, is Acme like a conservation company secretly that's trying to build the roadrunner population back up by selling really, really bad it's Looney weapons. Tunes conspiracy theories. Yeah. Looney Tunes is a conspiracy theory. Fair. Turtles all the way down. Turtles all the way down. I think down. this is the second podcast where I've made that reference. <laughs> yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> anyway, say you get hired to Acme for $50,000 a year. So taxes aside, there's going to be a certain amount that you bring home every month. It's called your take-home pay. Now, if you decide to contribute to a 401k, that will actually come out of your paycheck before you take that money home and gets invested into some investment account. So say I opt to invest a hundred bucks a month into my 401k. So I'm taking home a hundred bucks less, but you know, it's being invested for me. Yeah. And the company's like, cool, we'll match that. We'll actually match the hundred dollars. Now, a lot of companies are not gonna match exactly what you put in. They might match like 10% or they might match up to $2,000 a year. What you should consider that match to be is a raise that you can get simply by actually contributing. Yeah, It's a hundred percent return on investment. Yeah. For whatever that matches. If they so, match up to 3%, then yeah. you invest at least 3%. You get another 3%. Why not? That's the best exactly. investment you can make. Now, there's some nuance here because a lot of people are like, cool, I'll just put everything that I want to invest into the 401k. Right? Makes sense, right? Uh, Maybe. I would only go up to at least the minimum and then think about it after exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So my recommendation is invest up to the match because you're getting that 100% ROI, but then think a little harder about investing anymore into the 401k. Because here's the thing about 401ks. A lot of them limit your choices of what funds you can be invested in. And a lot of times they're either just arbitrary choice on the point of, on, on the part of whoever made the selections, whoever runs the 401k, or due to more nefarious reasons sometimes, all the funds you're gonna have access to in your 401k might be high fee funds. Mm. So, and we're one of my last things here is to show you like what a fee can do to your uh, account here. So I say embrace having more choice because you're learning what to use from this podcast yeah. and take any money that isn't gonna be matched and make a more deliberate decision as to where to invest it. Now maybe your 401k is awesome. Yeah, but don't invest sure. by default. But don't invest, invest by default. intentionally. Yeah, so once you get that match, you're just like, all right, my 401k doesn't offer that many great funds. I'm gonna take every dollar that I would have invested past that matching limit and I'm gonna put it into my cool Vanguard fund over here. I'm going to put it into my Betterment account. Boom. Cool. All right. Now we're moving on to saving for retirement. So I want to quickly explain what IRAs are. Um, and obviously this is, this is investing basics. This is for beginners. 
Yeah. So we're not going to talk about things like simple IRAs, which are in fact not simple, or SEP IRAs or anything like that. We're going to talk about the two types of IRAs which most normal people are going to use. Individual or uh, traditional IRAs or Roth IRAs. Now an IRA is called an individual retirement account. Yeah. This is basically an account that you contribute money into as you're working and there is some sort of tax advantage. There's that's why there's a difference between Roth and traditional. But in most cases you can't take that money out until you're 59 and a half. Yeah. So it's for retirement. Now the difference here is that the Roth IRA is, um, let's see here. If, if, if you have higher taxes when you retire, you wanna do a Roth. And if you have lower taxes when you retire, you wanna do a traditional. So with a Roth IRA, you're taking post-tax money, meaning you get your paycheck, your employer already took taxes out of it, and you're putting money into the Roth. So you've already paid taxes on that money. Yeah. But when you take that money out of the Roth, it's not taxed, which is pretty awesome because the gains aren't taxed okay. either. So that's a pretty okay. sweet deal there. So you pay the tax now, but not later. Yeah. So you're not, so say, you know, and there are contribution limits here, but say you have put in a total of like $50,000 over your career, but it grew to 300,000. You're not getting taxed on that $250,000 that it just grew to, Okay. which is pretty awesome. And that's, which one is that? That's the Roth. That's the Roth. Okay. The traditional has a different tax advantage. The traditional is pre-tax money being put in now which means it lowers your income for the year. So say your salary is $50,000, but you put 5,000 of that into a traditional IRA. What you actually made this year is $45,000. So right now you're only gonna be taxed on $45,000. Oh, so it's, are you more tolerant of paying those taxes now or later? Or That's later, basically yeah. the question. Well, the question is, what's your tax bracket gonna be when you're older versus now? Yeah. Most people, when they retire, they're probably not gonna work anymore. So they might be in a lower tax bracket. And in that case, hmm. a traditional IRA makes sense. But if you're like me, you're a baller entrepreneur who's going to go hardcore until he dies, yep. I fully expect to be making more money when I'm 65 than I'm making now. So it would make more sense for me to use something like a Roth. Okay. Or to do something like taxable investments, which is actually what I do. I just don't even care about. And I mean, I do some retirement investing, but as an entrepreneur, I find it makes more sense for me to keep it in a place where it's not locked away. A place where you can use it to invest in something better. Yeah, maybe I decide, you know, maybe tomorrow there's like some amazing opportunity that's gonna grow my business 10 times, but I need $10,000 for it. Well, if it's locked away in my retirement account, I can't use it. Okay. But for most employees, people who work for other people, that's not a situation that comes up that often. More often it's like, I really want a new truck, man. And you don't need that. So we'll talk about, there's, there's contribution limits here. Um, if you're under 50, combined between the Roth and the and the traditional, because you can have both if you want, uh, $5,500 a year is the contribution limit. Okay. If you're over 50, it's $6,500 a year. Um, now, the Roth is limited by your annual income. If you make over $133,000 a year, you can't do a Roth at all. Uh-huh. Uh, if you, so basically, if you make up to uh, or under $118,000 a year, you can do up to that whole 5,500 in Roth if you want. Between the 118 and 133, there's like partial, there's like some schedule that can go into Roth. Interesting. And if you're over 133, no Roth for you. They want you to pay the taxes when you retire. Okay, (laughs) okay. Uh, So yeah, the other thing is, if you for some reason have to take money out of a retirement account, it's better if it's a Roth. Because there's like there's there are circumstances we can link to them in the show notes where you can take money out of a Roth without a huge penalty. If it's in a traditional, 
you're taking a 10% penalty, and then they're taxing the money. That's a so it sucks. That's that's a super emergency. That's bad. Yeah, that's like an emergency. So don't take it out before you're 59 and a half. And I mean, your mindset, if you're doing a retirement account, your mindset should be that money's not being touched until yeah. I am 59 and a half or retired. Um, the other thing is here, IRA versus taxable investments. Taxable being like not in a retirement account. I'm paying taxes on my income and then just putting it into Vanguard, whatever. Yeah. We talked about the entrepreneur mindset. The other mindset is what they call like the FIRE community, financial independence, and I forget what the it's RE a fire stands for. FIRE community right there. FIRE, yeah. They, they listen to mixtapes. Yeah. Everything's on FIRE <laughs> and on fleet. So basically the FIRE community is like, I want to retire early. I want to retire when I'm 40. How do we do that? And they like, they do all the math to figure out exactly what they need to do, how much they need to save. So they retire at a certain age before the traditional age. Okay. So basically this comes down to something called the 4% rule. Um, and the 4% rule hinges on that 7% average we talked about in the market. So they go, all right, if I've got my money in index fund, on average, it's going to make 7%. So if I just take out less than 7% of that fund's value to live off of, it will never shrink because it's always okay. going to be growing faster than I'm taking away from it. But they use the 4% rule because it's, it's like a safety so they're basically like, all right, 7% is the average. Let's just assume to be conservative that 5% is what it's going to grow at. So I can take 4% per year and live off that and the money will never uh, shrink. It'll it'll keep growing. Okay. You want to invest so much that you yeah. can live only on, on its interest. Yeah. So in, the funny thing is I talked about, this is not a new concept, but I talked about this on Listen Money Matters once and I like, I figured it out. I think it's on my impossible list. I figured out how much money I would, excuse me, need to save to retire at 40. And I I went on TV for that. Like Newsweek huh. emailed me and they're like, this is cool, we wanna write an article on you. And then I was on like Fox Business to talk about it. Fancy. Um, so that was fun, but it's, it's not a new concept. It's just like, it's cool. So like, I don't remember the exact math, but I think I figured out if I had nine, $900,000 in an account somewhere, then I could take $36,000 a year to live off of, which is like 3,000 a month. So if you're living modestly, you could do that. Yeah. So it's like, all right, how much money do I have to save every month to get to $900,000 by the time I'm 40? That's the whole fire thing. And if that is something you're interested in, then obviously you don't want to be locking your money away in an IRA because if you yeah. want to retire at 40, that's still 20 years away from when yeah. you can take it out. All right. So we have a couple of more sections here to talk about before we close out. The first one is... Um, how do you invest? You dump it all in at once or do you spread it out? So spreading it out is what I recommend. And this is a strategy called dollar cost averaging. So basically a lot of people get this in their head. They're like, buy low, sell high. Buy low, so sell I'm going to try to time the market. I'm going to get a bunch of money and I'm going to be like, all right, the market sucks. Now I'm going to shove it all in while the shares doesn't, don't cost much and hopefully they'll grow more. Yeah. Now, the other option is what's called dollar cost averaging, where you don't think about timing the market. Just every month you put some money in and over time- It's an amount of money, not it an averages. amount of stocks. Yeah. So you're not like, oh, I'm going to buy a hundred shares this month. It's like, nope, I'm putting in $500. No matter how many Doesn't stocks matter it buys. Yeah. Okay. So that's like the two different ways you can do it. It's like lump sum investing once a year or trying to target time the market several times during the year, or just once a month, I invest. Now we actually did some uh, some research here. Yeah. Because a lot of people recommend dollar cost averaging to the everyman. 
there was actually a market analysis that we can link to in the show notes that looked at like every year since 1935 up until 2017 or something like that and found that like lump sum investing does beat out dollar cost averaging in returns two thirds of the time or something like that. Yeah. So mathematically, it probably works better because you're getting money into the market sooner and the stock market is up more often than it's down. If like you happen years. to have a crazy lump yeah. sum to throw in, right? But that's the thing. If you ha- Yeah, if you happen to have the money. Um, that being said, I still recommend dollar cost averaging. And here's the reason. Everyone should invest, but not everyone should think of themselves as an investor. As in like, I'm actively trying to find the strategies and optimize everything, blah, blah, blah. Because when you do that, I mean, there's nothing wrong if you want to do that. If you're genuinely interested in the math and the strategies and whatever, cool. I'm not yeah. going to try to discourage you. But most people, they want to be secure for retirement. They want to set up a system that will enable them to do that. And then they want to just carry on with their lives. They want to pursue their passions. They want to play guitar. They want to become better entrepreneurs or better employees, get certifications, or spend time with their girlfriend. And if you're spending all this time trying to optimize and time the market and you're looking at reports every morning, that's eating into that time. Yeah. So what I recommend you do, and this is what I do personally, I have in Vanguard and in Betterment automatic deposit days. We're just like one day a month, it pulls a specific dollar amount from my bank account and buys whatever that will buy. Okay. Sometimes it might be 100 shares. Sometimes it might be 80 shares. So you may get a, a little bit smaller of a return, but you, the return you really got was time. Yes. And lack of stress and, and trying to be all fancy with the numbers. And Yeah. And I believe that most people are going to end up with a higher return anyway. Because if you're sitting on a bank account and you're just like, I'm going to time that market so good. And you're just like shoving money into your bank account every month. real good. What if you're like, man, I've got $10,000 in my bank account right now. And I know I was going to put all that in the stock market at the right time. But actually, I've really been wanting a Nintendo Switch. What if I took some of that money and it's just like 250 bucks. Yeah. Most of it's still going to the stock market. The more longer you have control of that money and the more liquid it is, the more you got to deal with that temptation to use it for short-term yeah. rewards. Your brain is not optimized for this stuff. So let the robots do it. Yeah. That's my position. And the the more you'd be able to say, well, now that I have it, maybe it'll be a little lower next month. And then you just think that over and over and over, and then you've lost an average 7% or whatever because you didn't get in sooner. Greed and fear are what drives losses for most people. I I would say that greed and fear drive a lot of things. (laughs) Just everything. But You are very right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) And I think the auto deposit has an extra benefit of you don't feel as hurt Mm -hmm. losing. So like freelancing and stuff, I got to save up taxes Separately, and it feels yeah. bad to see it that. Hurts it to feels that really check. bad to see the tax tax checking account I have get really big and then go away. But if that was never, I never had it to begin with. So working a traditional job, they take the taxes out beforehand. Yep, it doesn't hurt. You I never feel, feel bad. it because it's. I all never that had that money. Version. That money was already gone. Yeah, it wasn't a problem. So auto depositing would make you feel less like you're losing money mm-hmm. that you could have used. You'll just get used to the smaller amount. I mean, it is coming out of your bank account, yeah. but it's auto. So yeah, but if it's auto, it's not your decision. I never notice it happen. To hurt. I mean, I guess, you know, they sent me an email. So they sent me an email, you know, 150 bucks has gone to this account. 
boom. All right, that's fine. But it already happened. I didn't have to it's make already the choice. Happened. You that's like, the thing. Uh, should I hit the button? That is the thing. I kind of want to do something better. I want to have fun with that. But should I hit the button? No, yeah. you hit the button. A robot hits the button for you, tells you, I have just hit the button. Yeah, I don't care if have you wanted day, new sir. shoes this month. You should have saved up somewhere else. Exactly. You're investing. Yeah, so do that. All right. The last thing I want to talk about before we finish up here is fees. We've mentioned here some funds have higher management fees than others. So I want to do an example here. Okay. So let's say you invest in a fund with a 1% management fee. So that means like just for simplicity's sake, every year they're going to take 1% of your portfolio's value as their fee. Okay. Let's see how that eats into your overall returns because of compound interest. So say in this example that they did on nerdwallet.com, we're going to have the link in the show notes so you can look at it. There's a lot of detail that we're not going to mention here. So if you're a nerd with a wallet, you can check it out. Uh, if you're 25 years old, let's say you've got your $25,000 in your retirement account right now. You've already got it. You're 25. Good job. And you're going to be contributing $10,000 a year. So a little less than a thousand bucks a month. That's quite a lot, but you know, it's doable for some people. And you're going to retire in 40 years, 65 years of age. 1% fee on that fund equals $590,000 in lost portfolio value over that 40 years. That hurts. That's huge. So let's contrast that 1% fee against what I pay. My Vanguard total stock index fund, the Admiral shares, has a 0.04% fee. Okay. It is over 20 times lower. My betterment fee is, I believe, 0.3%, so higher than that uh, Vanguard fee. But I did say earlier, betterment right now is doing better than the Vanguard fee. So again, I mean, this is the thing you have to think about. If somebody comes up to you and they're like, I have a I have a fund you can get into, but it's 2% fee, but they could guarantee you 20% return, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. No-brainer. But most of these managed fees with the or managed funds with these bigger fees as we said before can't even beat the index 92 percent of them can't beat it so it's like all right i'm charging you one percent sometimes even two percent to not beat the fund that charges you 0.04 percent yeah and that's really tricky because like if you don't know about that beforehand one percent like when you said that, I was like, okay, somehow this is going to end bad, but 1% sounds real small. It does sound small and it feels yeah. small, but when you do the math, exactly, our brains weren't really built for these big numbers. So yeah, they weren't. Okay. So I am coming to the realization that everything we have just gone through is probably daunting. There's a lot of it. Yeah. So what, would, so what I, if it was real simple? Give yeah. me a checklist. If I, I want to start not... investing tomorrow, I'm going to, I'm going to do it tomorrow. What do I do? Cool. All right. Number one, you build up that emergency fund, 500 okay. bucks. Emergency fund. Number two, make your debt decision that we talked about. Oh, yes. Decide on so whether I want that psychologically over, gone yeah. or what. If you want to totally hear to your debt, do that first. And Otherwise, if you have high interest rate, anything debt, over get rid 5%, of that first. kill that debt first. Yeah. Then, now you got to decide where to invest your money. Regardless of what you do, I recommend doing an automatic deposit every month. So it's not in your hands. The choice is taken care of for you. It's just a robot is investing your money. And when you're 65, you're going to be like, thanks, robot. And it'll be like, you're welcome, sir. And also I'm sending an AI now. Cool. Well, then they'll probably be even better. Can I become part of your family? Yeah. Now as to where to go individually, um, my two recommendations, betterment is like the easiest zero effort, zero thinking option. I do like easy. Yeah. 
or Wealthfront. Um, I have Betterment, but Wealthfront is like basically identical, and there are other ones out there. Um, unless the money matters, we recommend Betterment because that's what we've used. Okay. So try that. If you want to get into lower fees than Betterment can even get you, and you're you're willing to do a little bit more research or just be a little bit more manual, um, the Vanguard funds are great. The thing is the the admiral shares version of that total stock market is a $10,000 minimum and the investor shares, which is like a little bit higher fee. Like I think it's like 0.2 or something like that. Okay. That's $3,000. But, and I just, I was doing research on this right before this podcast. They have what's called an ETF version of that fund. So it's like an exchange traded fund. Literally the only difference between like the mutual fund version and the ETF is that the ETF is traded like a stock. So throughout the day, its prices will fluctuate just like Apple stock or, I don't know, Chevrolet or whatever, whereas the mutual fund can only be traded once a day. So the price doesn't fluctuate. Okay. But for, for all of you who are going to be long-term investors and you, that difference doesn't matter. So the other difference is the ETF has no minimum investment at all. The hmm. only catch is you have to have a brokerage account to buy it for you and a lot of brokerage account. Like if you go down your Edward Jones, which don't do, um, you can set up like a brokerage account with them and they can like buy that for you. But a lot of brokerage accounts are gonna charge you a commission to set up that that fund or to buy that and make that trade. But, and Andrew was just telling me this over uh, iMessage recently, like five minutes ago before we started. Um, you can set up your own brokerage account as a Vanguard account. You can just go to the Vanguard site, set it up yourself and there's no fee. Oh, so I haven't done this myself yet, but that's what he told me. You could literally get that's into clever. the ETF, get the same super low management fee, 0.04% on the ETF version. There's no difference for a long-term minded investor. There's no, uh, there's no what is it called? Minimum investment. Cool. So you got to go through a little bit of hassle to set up that brokerage account. Yeah. But other than that, like that seems like the easiest way if you have uh, not a whole lot of money to get into the cheapest and most stable and easiest, like just long-term solution. Okay. So that's my recommendation. Betterment if you're like, I really don't want to think and I want robots to balance things for me and potentially have a better gain or get that ETF if you're just like, I want to follow the economy the way it goes. And I think the way I'm going to do that is I think I'm probably going to do Betterment first to get, to dip my toes into the investment waters Hmm. before I scare myself off trying to do, do thinking about stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, even, even though that fee is a little bit higher, like just get started. Getting, like well, getting thing. started is the thing. And, and maybe after even just a little bit of time on that, suddenly I'll be like, you know what? I'm comfortable with this now. I understand more. So now I'm going to do the fancy things. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Cool. So that is my beginner's recommendation. If you guys want to go further, um, we can, I guess the first thing is like, let me know down in the comments or email us or tweet us or whatever. What do you want to know? What didn't make sense here? Um, is there something else related to personal finance that you would like us to cover on the podcast? I am totally game to do more personal finance and even investing related episodes if they make sense. The other thing though, is I have a second podcast called Listen Money Matters. And I do that with my friend, Andrew. We get into the details of like every financial topic you could think of. It's not one of those shows where we're like, here's what happened in the market this week. (laughs) No, it's like, what the heck is an ETF? What the heck is dollar cost averaging? Um, and we'll like interview CEOs of companies. We've interviewed the CEO of Personal Capital. We've interviewed people who work at Betterment and Wealthfront and like tons of experts and authors, and economists. It's a good show if you want to learn how to manage your money. So check it out. 
um, listenmoneymatters.com slash show, and we'll have that link in our show notes, which you'll find linked in the description below if you're watching on YouTube or over at cigpodcast.com slash 168 if you're listening to this yeah. on the audio feed and you need to find a URL to go to. So definitely check out those show notes. Um, in those show notes, you will also find a link to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That is a great way to support this show. It lets us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, how we can improve. And we're really trying to improve as yes. much as we can. Yep. And it also helps to bump our show up the charts in iTunes. So if you want to help us get this show out to more people and impact more lives, that's a great way to do it. Um, the other thing before we close out, once again, I want to thank FreshBooks for sponsoring this episode. And if you are a entrepreneur, if you're a freelancer, if you work for yourself, go over to freshbooks.com slash CIG and put College Info Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section to start that 30-day unrestricted free trial and start investing in yourself. Yep. That's about it, right? Yep. Cool. Thanks well, for guys, listening. Pop yeah. a bless. Pop a bless. Don't drink them soda pops. Nope. And uh, we will see you next week. Stay cute.